right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You know, we got past that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Drovetta. We've got another fun show for you on today's edition of RCST. We've got some KU basketball talk. Going to do a DeWan Harris deep dive here. We've uh, got Michael Swain joining the show coming up at 3.40. More RCST trivia at 4.05. And uh, we're going to get into some KU football with Michael as well. And we're going to get into some KU volleyball talk. Ray Bouchard, the head coach for the KU volleyball team, and Caroline Bien, the uh, star outside hitter for KU volleyball, will be a sophomore this next season. going to join us a little bit after that. Um, but I want to start today, like I said, Dewan Harris with a deep dive as we continue on with our player deep dives here. 6'1", 170-pound guard. He is technically a, you know, depending where you look, he was a, came in redshirted, was a redshirt freshman last year. COVID year, he technically is a third-year freshman this year, or he is a redshirt sophomore that hasn't used the COVID year yet. It's just kind of uh, semantics at that point. But the point is, he could have... He's in his second year of eligibility, and he can go... He can go three more. Three more after this year. Yeah, or he can go two more and do what Dave did, where he basically graduates yeah. and, and still has a year left if he wants to come back, right? Um, overall for the season, 29 minutes a game, five and a half points per game, 43% from the field, 32 from three. He shot really well on free throws, 79%. Uh, 4.2 assists per game, that just one and a half turnovers, very steady with the ball, about a Rebounding a half a game, stealing a half per game, and uh, .3 blocks per game. Pretty good numbers because he has a really long wingspan for for being a guard, and that helps him kind of be pesky. Um, and so I think he's kind of a guy that it wasn't to the level of like David McCormick, but if we were to power rank the guys who probably had the most fan criticism over the course of the season, Dave was probably one. Uh, no, Dave was one. Dave was one with a bullet. Um, number two on the list would probably be, and I don't know how much it was – Criticism of him versus criticism of uh, people saying, you know, Bill Self, why aren't you playing Remy Martin more? All these guys. Uh, but he was probably next up on that list. And I think, um, I don't know, I mean, as much crow as as I've eaten, as, as we've probably eaten with David McCormick, I think actually we were pretty steadfast with Dewan Harris. I, I thought Dewan Harris maxed out what he could possibly yeah. be. I, I thought if you But wanted, we always knew along the way like what he was and the yeah. Philosoph trusted him and, and we got it. If you know you, what I mean? If you want to make the, if you wanted to make the argument that um that Remy, you know, you wanted Remy on because he was a, a, a higher volume uh scorer, I you know, I can't dispute that. He obviously showed out and was a, a regional MOP uh in the NCAA tournament. Of course Remy could score. He showed that and he was tremendous at that. But you can't, like, that can't equal a criticism of, of Dewan Harris. I thought Dewan Harris maxed out really what he's capable of. Tremendous passer. Um, he doesn't make, and, and Remy can pass the ball too. Uh, he doesn't make a lot of the, Remy plays in such a fun way. He kind of makes a show even out of his passes. And that's okay. I'm not criticizing him for it. I think it's a good thing. It makes watching him very, very fun. 
But Dewan is a very steady player. Um, back when we were doing our uh, Christmas gifts for KU players, I said I would like to get Dewan a tape or of uh, of Marcus um, Garrett uh, defensive skill sets because he's got. I think he's a bit shorter than Garrett, but he he's got that long wingspan that he's actually a pretty damn good defender uh, with that wingspan. Um, and he, I don't know. He's just, he's steady. He's, he's clearly earned Bill Self's trust. Um, I think all along it was going to be, it, as Remy improved, it was going to be less about Remy over Dewan and more about playing the two guys uh, together more. Now, you did get to the tournament with times where Dewan was on the bench and Remy was playing meaningful minutes. Um, so it, it wasn't exclusively just the two of them on the floor together, but I, I, I liked Dewan. Um, I'd like, you know, I'd like if he could improve his shooting, but I really don't. I had a difficult time, and maybe it was because of what my expectations were. I had a difficult time criticizing anything Dewan Harris did. Um, and I'll I'll add the caveat to that as saying I didn't expect him to shoot right. very well. Yeah. And, and because I didn't expect him to shoot very well, I loved what I saw. I mean, based on my expectations, I loved what I got out of, out of Dewan Harris this past year. I think heading into last year, because the year before, Dewan Harris was more of a reserve player, and he played well in the NCAA tournament, though it was short-lived for KU, that made you think, okay, let's see what we got here. And there was a lot of talk as the offseason went on that, you know, this guy's uh, winning every game in scrimmages, and that uh, Bill and, Self seems to love him. And I was certain, I'll let you finish what you were saying, but just to go back to what my expectations were, and, and this was before I got on the show, but you knew this, just us talking as friends, Derek. Um, I was, as soon as Remy, I was certain Dewan Harris was transferring. Yeah. I was certain of it. And then you start hearing, and, and I'll let you continue, because you start hearing how good he looked. Yeah, it was all positive noise. It was all positive noise that made you think this guy is going to be a, a starting guard or play very significant minutes for this team. And that's what ended up happening. And, you know, obviously, anytime you win a national title, like everything is going to be covered in the veil of well, of course everything was a success, right? Uh, but if we just we set that aside, we set the team success aside. If you just look at the individual in a vacuum, what Dewan Harris did again, the numbers don't like jump off the page. It's not lofty points totals or high shooting efficiency or anything, but everything he did individually was without a doubt a success. And so I, I think he becomes interesting as you move forward um, because he's he's just as steady as they come. And, you know, it's it's tough to figure out what a guy like that is moving forward because you more so view it as a, like, is he just a super high floor player that you know what you're going to get each and every time and you know he's going to contribute to winning at a high level. You know he's going to do a lot of things that Bill Self likes. Um, but you also wondered, like, have we figured him out? Like, like what is the ceiling here? How much further can this go? And And not to say he's these guys – but I do think it is dangerous to sometimes get into those conversations because I think sometimes we feel like, okay, we've seen a guy for so long or maybe this guy didn't have a high like uh, high school recruiting profile that makes you think the ceiling is there or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I remember having clear conversations both this past offseason and in the offseason leading into the 16-17 season. We had seen Frank Mason for three years at that point, two years as a starter. I remember having conversations of being like, who's going to be the star of this next year's team? And I remember a lot of those conversations. Well, we saw Devontae Graham kind of breaking out at the end of the 15-16 season, some big games for him. Maybe it'll be him. And it was like, you know, Frank is just like, Frank's really good, but we kind of know what we're getting in Frank. He's yeah. a 14-point per game, like stuff like that, right? And Frank took the next jump, he and did. he became national player of the year. With Ochai, this past year, it was almost like, you know, Ochai's really good. He's an all-Big 12 player. 
But I feel like we know what we've seen with Ochai. We've seen three years of him. Like, is it going to be that different? And yes, it was. He was a National Player of the Year candidate. So I think sometimes in, in college we get a little stuck in this. If you've seen a guy for long enough, and I'm not even necessarily saying Dewan is in that category, but I think it fits the same billing of like, well, how high is Dewan Harris's ceiling? And I would tend to side more on the the way of, yeah, I'm not expecting him to turn into like this first-team All-American down the road, but it is important to remember that those other stories are there to say, no, sky's the limit. Like, like don't don't limit yourself. I, yeah, I would agree. I hope I hope Dewan's goals aren't what we believe his ceiling is. Um, I don't see it with the shot. I just don't. Um, but again, I'd love it if I turn out to be wrong. I mean, if if he comes out, um, if he turns in, you know, forget Devontae and Frank level. If he can get to a twelve point per game type guy, I would love that. Um, I just, I really don't know. Um, he did show a willingness to pull the trigger and make some shots when he was open, and that's good. Uh, but he also clanked. Uh, he had a share of clanks uh, even when he was open. And, and look, he was also young. Um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of view. I'm, I may, just, I may go against everything you just said. I really don't see. A crazy, I, I see maybe a higher ceiling than than we got out of him this year. I really don't see much more than ten or eleven points per game. I agree. I think, but him yes. kind of as long as you've got talented players around him, assists. This isn't a perfect comparison, but you know how like assists are kind of like RBIs. Like in RBI, you get credit for, but you also need somebody to have gotten on base in front of you to get that. And in the same way, an assist, you need you need like. If you have a guy who can make a lot of shots, you're, it's going to help your assist numbers by passing to them, if that makes sense. That's an imperfect comparison because you can also pass in such a way that it helps them. It gives them a, a more, um, like a good pass sets the player up with a more, um, uh, you know, higher percentage shot is what I'm trying to say. And so I, I could see him, you know, staying in that, you know, four to five assists per game. I think his, his turnovers stay there or go down. Um so I, I think that turns out to be a ceiling. I, I just don't see um, – what I don't see is the is that insane first step that you saw from Devontae and Remy and Frank Mason just to cut by his man from the top of the key and get to the bucket. Right now, again, could, you know, could be – could be uh, off on this, and, and maybe he gets it. I just don't see a crazy quick first. Yeah. Step so from him. I again, I'm not. I'm not getting to the side that that's going to be the case. I'm just saying I think it becomes a dangerous game when we try to figure out what the ceiling is, because I guess that's my point there. That we don't. We don't ever know. We just don't. So like I, I'm. I agree. Like uh, a lot of the, the evidence would say that yeah, this he is more of a high floor than a high ceiling. But like what the ceiling is, is it? You know what we saw this past year. Is that the ceiling, or yeah. is the ceiling? Aaron Miles, who Aaron Miles averaged nine and seven his last year. You know what I mean? Like if that's the ceiling, that's great. That's Aaron Miles, the all time Big Twelve assist that, leader, yeah. right? I would take so that. I, I just, I, I guess I don't know where to put it. Is my point with that? Like, are you Aaron Kraft? Are you Aaron Miles? Are you somebody else? I, I don't know. Are you the guy that we just saw last year? It, it, it doesn't really matter. But I, I think the beauty of all of this, no matter what, it happens with him. Like even if he never does get. You know, even if this is the ceiling, what we're seeing right now, if he's just a really high floor player, that the ceiling isn't necessarily, 
uh, an all Big 12 type player. The beauty of that is you know that's still good enough for you to win a national title. Yeah. He's a starting point guard on a title team. Absolutely. I, I will say this. I think you do need, um, at least with the nature of the way this Bill Self runs things, um, you need somebody to be the – and Remy became this once kind of Big 12 tournament play, and, of course, that continued in the NCAA tournament. Um, one thing I don't yet see, haven't yet seen out of Dewan is just go make a shot when the offense – you get about on a thirty-second shot clock. I I think you get two, maybe three runs through your set, and if they they you know Texas Tech is going to take the the first one away almost all the time. Uh, good good defense will take the first one away almost all the time. The second run through, maybe you get a better look, but Dewan I, for Dewan Harris, I, I what I would love to see if if he can become a guy that can go get a shot. Now look, he had the game winner against Iowa State. Um, but, but you mean if he can, exactly just, if, yeah, if yeah. he can become the guy that all right that didn't work that didn't work that didn't work there's six seconds left on the shot clock okay you still feel okay with Dewan having it's not the ideal scenario but you still feel okay with Dewan Harris the ball in his hands um, with seven seconds left on the shot clock that's what I would like to see him become right and that doesn't mean he's a 15 point per game score it just means that he picks and chooses wisely and gets other involved and and when they need it he gets it I remember like Xavier Simpson in Michigan he was like a defensive first point guard and then his last year in college which that wouldn't be it for Dewan but like his junior he averaged nine points per game and he had this kind of like running hook shot he was a smaller guard six foot 190 like that kind of is, is similar to yeah what that could become uh for Dewan Harris one thing that is going to be interesting I was looking back through Bill Self and his time at at KU because more than any other position and it makes sense if you're a point guard you're hypothetically like the most fit guy on the team and you're running up and down right um when you look and you're back, probably playing the most minutes exactly and that's what I'm saying like a lot of these guys who end up playing these high minute totals for Bill Self are returning starting point guards. And so we already saw Dewan Harris play 29 this past year, and that was with Remy Martin, although not there for the entirety of the season, kind of chomping at the bit behind him. Um, these are the last five point guards who started at the point guard spot, then came back the next season okay. and how many minutes they played. So they started one year, they came back where the start of the next year as well. Uh, the most previous one was Devon Dotson, 2019-20. He started the first year as a freshman, came back as a sophomore. He played 34.9 minutes per game. And I, I'll add this. I, I think Devon could drive better. I actually, I and no, I like Devon as a player, uh, but if you're talking, you know, abilities, I, I would put um, Devon's passing ability above Devon Dotson's. Sure. 2016-17, uh, Frank Mason. Started the year before, he came back, placed 36.1 minutes per game. Frank also started the year prior to that. So if you count 2015-16 as well, uh, when he returned as a full-time starting point guard, 33.5 minutes per game. Then you have Tyshawn Taylor. Started in 2010-11, came back, started again at point guard 2011-12, played 33.4 minutes per game. Sharon started in 08-09, came back, point guard spot 09-10, played 33 minutes per game. Those are the last five point guards. And if we wanted to, we could stretch this out even more. Uh, I know you might be saying, well, what about Devontae Graham? Devontae Graham started as a two and yeah, then started and then as the moved, one. Yeah. If you wanted to include that, though, he played 37.8 minutes per game. That same thing happened with Marcus Garrett. He was kind of the two, started as the Elijah one the year Johnson. after. Yeah, Elijah Johnson. All those guys were around 33 minutes per game. I think Elijah was like 32.9. Marcus was at 33 flat. So the point is, 
I mean, if we're just talking about minute allocation, maybe it is different because all those guys that I named, like Tyshawn Taylor was, you know, he didn't end up being an, an All-American, but just based on what he did in the Big 12 tournament and the NCAA tournament, he was basically All-American type of talent, right? Mm-hmm. Sharon yeah. Collins, All-American. Frank Mason, National Player of the Year. Devon Dotson, All-American. Devontae Graham, All-American. Um, by that notion, Dewan Harris isn't those guys to what we were talking about with the ceiling floor talk. So I don't know if that impacts it. And if you have other good guard talent, if you bring on Tyrese Hunter, for instance, maybe that impacts things at the guard spot and you have more minutes to give away to some other good guards. But it's hard for me to look at that and not say, okay, you are the starting point guard. Like As far as positions that Bill Self really values the trust factor the most, mm-hmm. I think it's point guard and center. Yep. And you have earned his trust. You were starting point guard the year before. Okay, just pencil him in. He's going to play 32 to 35 minutes. I think it's funny looking down that list, and you want to talk about floor versus ceiling. Tyshawn Taylor, you know, is was fantastic, particularly when Big 12 play started his senior season. People really were – I remember that. After – it really got loud after Kansas lost a lead late to Duke in the Maui Invitational Final. Um Early in that season, people were going, are you sure on Tyshawn Taylor in terms of the minutes he was playing and, and starting? Um, and and I, I'll be honest, I think a lot of Tyshawn, now he lived up to it and, and that team was a national runner-up. And he had a, he was a big reason why. Um, but I think there was a lot of, like, this list is kind of full of guys that people were thrilled with them returning People didn't dislike Tyshawn, but I think the fan perspective was this will be an interesting experiment with him being the only guy. Yeah, the league guard, guard instead of having Sean and, Collins next year, to him or whoever. The year before, he was the one, but you also had the Morris Twins really, really running things. Yeah, they were really um, dominating the offense, right? And so it, that was an interesting thing, and I, I think the what-are-you-doing type mistakes that you saw out of Tyshawn Taylor – um, you're not you. You will never see. Bill Self loved loved the quote when he described and he he talked about Tyshawn this way and he used it to talk about um, Remy Martin when he said he'll he'll make a play that you can't coach and then he'll turn around and make a play that it looks like he's never been coached. Um, <laughs> Dewan will not do that. No, Dewan will not he's steady make, Eddie. Right? Yeah, he's he's very very steady. Um, and I think people should be excited again. You know, he's I you know. Don't expect a lot from the scoring. I, I, it could go up a little bit, but, it, I mean, if if we're sitting here next year and we're going through a, a year in which Dewan Harris plays 33 minutes a game, I don't think it'll be a bad thing. No, no. Uh, so, I guess getting into the conversation we've done with all these players, realistic floor, realistic ceiling. Um, for me, the floor is that the game looks pretty much the same as it did last year, which, again, was enough to be a near 30-minute-a-game starter over Remy Martin on a national championship team. Um, The only problem with that this year is that you're not going to have probably as much good. Like, you might have as much talent around you. Grady Dick and MJ Rice are ultra-talented, but do you have as much like good college players around you when you add the talent with the experience and, and having age and having time and Bill self system that maybe it'll be a little tougher to what you were talking about earlier. You're going to rack up more assists when you have better options around you. Um, because if he is more of a glue guy, if he is more of a, you know, work around the teammates with you, then that's obviously an important thing for him. So I think that's the floor. The floor is that he's, 
pretty much the same player as he was this past year, which, again, was still a very good, very important player for you. It's just you don't have as many great pieces around him. Yeah, there may be, there could very well be shots that uh, David McCormick hit from an assist by uh, Dewan Harris that, at least early on, Ernest Zude doesn't hit and Zach Clements doesn't hit. And, you know, Cam Martin and, and, and Zuby and, and KJ, you know, that those, that, that – that a pass this past year that would have resulted in points and therefore an assist for Dewan Harris may result in a missed shot a lot of times this coming year. As far as the ceiling, I would just say like again, it's it's hard envisioning him turning into just this like first team All American this next season. Uh, basically, I guess an enhanced glue guy, and and I think what you look at uh, what I mentioned Aaron Miles earlier. Um, with really pesky defense like that, that to me is the the ultimate ceiling there, which. Like that is good enough if you're Aaron Miles, and Aaron Miles was a pesky defender. He averaged you know close to two steals per game. So, um, you know, Aaron Miles was I think second or third team All Big Twelve a couple of years. Um, I don't know that the scoring is ever going to be high enough for Dewan. Like it's hard to envision him averaging more than eight, nine, ten points per game, and it's probably not this year for you know those lofty All American type of accolades. But that's okay because he's going to continue to influence winning. He's going to continue to be a high level, trustworthy player for Bill Self. He can obviously be a a point guard on a national title winning team. I think the ceiling for me this year is you get six to eight points per game five to six assists per game, a couple of steals. You improve the shot a bit more. It's never going to be something where I envision him shooting like step back threes, but, yeah. uh, you know, he giving you 30 to 35 minutes a game. Maybe he's all big 12, second or third team. He's all big 12 defense, something like that. And it's just kind of another step forward for him. That's, that's kind of how I view the ceiling there. Yeah. I think it's a good way to put it. The shooting, I think the, the, the best way you can put, if, if you can't put a percentage number on it, I think the ceiling for him shooting-wise this year is a guy that, um, at the very least, teams have to scout for and not just say, oh, Can't just well, leave him. Exactly. I yeah. think that's the ceiling for him. Yeah, and that that's the ultimate goal of what you're kind of going for. Or at the very least, if, if they are laying off you, can you consistently drive into the lane and, and hit that kind of running hook shot or a tough two-pointer, which he did show uh, an affinity to do over the course of this past season. All right, he's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Michael Swain's going to join the show in about 15 minutes. This is RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas Collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including T-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear, plus they look really cool. And they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK. That's ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, all one word, and you'll get 15%, 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Chalk Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. Joined on a Wednesday here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk by Michael Swain of Fog.net. And uh, Michael, it's been a, a big week of, of visits for KU football. I keep seeing all these guys popping up of, you know, uh, having them on campus, whether it's today, yesterday, whatever. Um, uh, what do you kind of think the, the timeline is here? Because we're obviously past the deadline for guys to enter into the portal and still get eligible unless they were to get a waiver and and it seems like KU knows what they're working with in terms of scholarships that they lost and how many they can bring in and all those things. Although there still is that rule kind of on the the outset of, you know, are they going to change it to 
how many you can allow in on, on a given year. But nonetheless, uh, what do you kind of think the timeline is here of them finishing up with these portal editions? Is this just going to stretch through the entirety of the summer, or do you think they'd like to have that kind of shirt up in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, I think the, the kind of the finish date that you, you think they'd like to have wrapped up by is kind of that mid to end of June when the summer school classes, the enrollment period for that ends. And basically, for a lot of these players, the goal is going to be, can you get on the campus of the school you pick by the time those summer workouts start? Just because that's a time when, you know, you get to work out with the team, you can do certain activities um, with the teammates, with some coaches. So that's a big thing. And so I think it's going to be, you know, you're going to see some guys probably decide here by the end of the month and then try and get on campus for summer school. Um, and so that's kind of the, the timeline you're looking at. And in terms of, like, the numbers, it's really fascinating because, of course, this decision could come down where the recruiting class limits are removed. And that would really, really help a program like KU that is really trying to get back to that 85 number. Uh, I don't think KU would necessarily try and get all – you know, 85 scholarships filled just because I don't know if you're going to find enough quality players that you want to take um, to get up to that number. But still, I think it gives KU a lot more flexibility with numbers to add more depth to the roster. So it's definitely going to shake out, you know, between the visits, guys that want to get on campus still. Um, it's going to shake out to be a pretty busy kind of next, you know, four weeks-ish, I would say. Is is that just a, a bonus, or do you think um... – it's been an intended push by KU with all the guys they have gotten committed so far from the transfer portal um, since spring ball have three to four years left of eligibility, whether it's, you know, Juco guys who have two years with a third year red shirt or a third year with a fourth year red shirt, or in the case of a guy like Douglas Emelian, who, you know, uh, was redshirt freshman last year for Minnesota. I don't know if that means he's a third year freshman now for KU or uh, I don't know with all this eligibility stuff anymore. But um, mm -hmm. it, do you think that's just a, a bonus, a cherry on top, or do you think they are actively seeking guys with multiple years left? Oh, no, I think that's exactly what they're doing. Um, roster flexibility and roster continuity is a big thing that they're going after. And so you look at even going back to December, right, all the guys they brought in had at least two years of eligibility. You're not getting any player that is going to be a one-and-done in terms of the maximum eligibility remaining. You know, uh, we haven't really seen them go after many guys that are even like that. You know, every single person they've offered and gone after, it seems like, has had those multiple years. And what that allows is, you know, obviously multiple years in the scheme is huge, and this staff is known for being able to develop players. So you're thinking about maximizing some of these guys, and you look at someone like a Douglas Amelian who had a, a really long offer list coming out of high school, um, was a pretty heralded recruit and played at a high level there in South Florida. Um, you look at some of those guys going back to December, right? Kai Thomas, a four-star guy. You know, Sevion Morrison, four-star recruit. A lot of these guys are some of these high-ceiling players that, under a staff like KU, where you get multiple years of development, you can really see some of those guys, you know, in theory, reach that high-end potential that, you know, kind of the recruiting services saw from them coming out of high school. So it's definitely been a conscious effort. And what that allows is a lot more flexibility long-term, just in terms of your recruiting classes. You're not going to have a big wave of departures, and it maybe won't matter as much if this 25 cap gets removed for long-term, um, but it can still play an impact, right? And you want to have as much continuity, as many guys in the program as long as possible to build up that uh, familiarity, the ability within the scheme, having it be a second nature, which then kind of shows on the field. So I think it's been a smart move by the KU staff to go that route instead of trying to go 
for these kind of two and done or, you know, one and done type of players when a lot of these guys are in kind of that three, four and still have a red shirt at their disposal. So I think it's a smart move. And I think if you look at the portal as a whole, I think it's really going to allow K to maybe hit a little bit of a fast forward button on the, the rebuild. You know, uh, one thing that I was just thinking of too, that could go in line with this. And I don't want to make this sound like a like hostage situation thing, but uh, one thing that me and Adam have talked about, and I'm sure this is you know being discussed around all schools across the country, is the idea that you know KU in basketball we're not going to really see this as much. But like what happened with Iowa State in basketball with Tyree Santo, where he has this really good freshman season, and then now he's probably going to get picked off by you know a blue blood or a really high level basketball school that can pay him a bunch of NIL money and get him a big opportunity, right? Um, and and in basketball, KU probably won't really be, you know the the victim of that but in football they absolutely could and so what's to stop one of these KU football players from having a great season this year and then you know getting offered a bag getting offered a bunch of NIL money and and the opportunity to transfer to a bigger school there's there's not anything but something that just came to my mind is that with these rules where you get one free transfer and again who knows like how strict the NCAA will be with that stuff and allowing waivers or not um but I would just think if you build your roster primarily from guys who have now already used the one free transfer rule, doesn't that make you a little less susceptible to lose other players via transfer? For sure. I think so. And I think the question, and I think this offseason is going to be fascinating in this regard because there are guys that have already transferred once that are looking to transfer again. And so it'll be really interesting to see how the NCAA handles those waivers, if they're going to hand them out like candy or if they're going to treat them like gold. You know, that's going to be a real big question. And I think that's going to impact the amount of guys that enter the portal going forward because you're going to know that, hey, this is my one chance to get my one transfer. I have to get it right. You know, I think that's going to put pressure on the the players to make the right decision. And also it's going to give some more control back to the coaching staff. And I think the whole fight for control and this whole thing has been super fascinating. And not even really KU really, but just across the country of who has control here. Is it the players deciding that they can hold schools hostage by entering the portal and asking for more NIL money? You know, you look at what Isaiah Wong almost happened there and at Miami or even what's happening with this pit wide receiver. Um, that's fascinating. Then you also have situations where coaches are, kind of forcing players out the door. So I think the the fight for control here is super interesting. And I think that what the NCAA does with those waivers is going to establish kind of a precedent. So you're right. KU isn't going to run into that problem with a guy like Kai Thomas or Douglas a million. Um, they would have to really make a choice of, do you want to go sit out a year at your new school? If that's where the NCAA treats this, I think that gives KU um, a load of help in terms of being able to maintain that roster continuity that I think the staff really is valuing. We're talking with Michael Swain of Fog.net here. Uh, switching over to basketball, what what do you think the timeline is for, for that side of things with making transfer additions? Does that just line up with the NBA draft decisions? Yeah, it really does because KU's so hamstrung right now scholarship-wise where you know that there's a chance where you don't have any scholarships to give. And so I think you look at someone's decision like Christian Brown, I still think he's going to go. Um, and even what you saw you know, today with what Mike Schmidt said, saying that, you know, he's a, a first round pick. You know, I think you saw a lot of him in the late twenties, which you kind of question of, all right, you know, does that necessarily mean he's going to be a first round pick? No, but if some of these draft guys are coming out and saying this guy is a first round pick, I think Christian Brown's going to go. And so then you're looking at probably one scholarship, but you still want to wait. You know, maybe he has a change of heart, wants to come back to school. So you kind of have to wait till that June deadline and then kind of go from there. Or maybe even Christian Brown gives KU and you know uh, a hint that he's going to stay in after the combine. You know, I, I don't know, but I think you're looking at kind of a mid-May. 
KU kind of having a better idea of what that scholarship situation looks like and then what they're going to need to go and fill. Because if Jalen Wilson leaves and Christian Brown leaves, then you're looking at two players in two different skill sets. You're looking, if you're looking at just Christian Brown leaving and Jalen Wilson coming back, you're going to look for more of a, a scoring guard to go with Juan Harris rather than looking for maybe another stretch four that can play. Um, you know, kind of uh, with KU's big men, you think about Ernst Dude, Zuby, um, Cam Martin, guys like that. So I think you're looking at kind of the a mid-May into June being kind of the timeline for basketball. What percentage right now would you put on Christian Brown staying in the draft, and what percentage would you put on Jalen Wilson? I would say 90% for Christian Brown staying in the draft. Uh, is, is that up after- from where it was, I don't know, a couple weeks ago? Yeah, I think it was probably about like a seventy-five, eighty when he when you know he initially announced. And I think just kind of hearing more and more of these draft guys as Christian Brown has done more workouts, as guys have been able to see him more. It sounds like it's more and more leaning where his stock is kind of trending up. And so Jalen Wilson, I'm you know I'm very interested to see what happens because obviously you got the G League Combine invite, but you, you hear different things. You know, I've heard you know from one person that hey, you know he's gonna. More, he wants to move on, but then someone else is like, oh, he's going to come back to KU. So I think some of the intel out there is uh, there's conflicting information. And so I think him getting the G League invite rather than a combine invite maybe indicates where he sits in some NBA viewpoints. And so uh, I kind of think it's a, you know, I think probably he leans towards coming back, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if he still does leave. So I'd probably go with, a, you know, probably a 55, 60% chance that he's coming back. You know, for me, I'm, I'm really curious to see um... – what Christian Brown measures in some of these, mm. you know, things at the combine. And I, I think this is, you know, I, I guess for guys who don't come back, it's, it's not as big of a talking point, but um, it, it certainly was interesting to see like Jalen Wilson measure. And, and, you know, I think he's listed at like six, eight, but he measured at like six, six or, or six, five and three quarters or something without shoes. Now obviously he plays with shoes on, but he was six, seven and he didn't have like an ultra large wingspan. And it was just kind of interesting mm-hmm you get a better understanding of who these players are and, and what they actually are because you don't actually know what these guys, um, how accurate the, the college listings of a lot of them are. Christian, I'm interested in because he seems like a guy who is very much what he is listed in terms of height. And um, I, I guess, is is there something or someone, uh, whether it's a measurement, whether it's a skill, like a vertical jump or a speed thing or, or anything like that, that you're most kind of keeping your eye on in the combine testing? Or is it just something that you don't really have much interest in? Um, I think the testing will be interesting for, for Christian Brown just because getting some of those verified numbers for him, considering the fact that, right, he didn't go through this process last year. So I think that's going to be really interesting. And, you know, I think you can think back, right, you talk about wingspan, right? It was at the combine when we learned that Svi yeah. had the negative wingspan, right, where he was the only player in the draft to have that. Like that's Those sort of measurements are interesting. So I think Christian Brown's length will be interesting to see what his wingspan is. I think you're right. I think he is that. I think he's listed at 6'7". Uh, I think he is that. And so uh, that'll be interesting for him. But outside of that, you know, we kind of know what Ochai is already, considering the fact that he did this last year. Do his athleticism numbers take a step forward? Um, I'm not really sure. But I think for, for CB, it's a big question of kind of, you know, the, the height and kind of the length that he does have. Talking with Michael Swain here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. The uh, KU football over-under win total got released at 2.5 mm. yesterday uh, from, I think, Bet Rivers. So uh, I'm going to ask you this one. More KU football wins in 2022 or more KU basketball first-round picks between 2022 and 2023 NBA drafts? Oh, so we get this year's draft and next year's draft. Yes. So, I mean, Ochai will be a first-round pick. Christian could be. 
Grady Dick could be. MJ Rice could be. I don't know. Zach Clements, maybe, if he goes off. Who knows? Yeah. Give me the key football wins. Oh. I, I, I think you look at it, I think at a max, you're getting three guys drafted in the first round. Grady Dick probably going to be uh, a first-round pick, if not a lottery pick. And then I think, obviously, Ochai. And I think, you know, CB is going to get drafted in the first round as well. So I think three. But I think KU football. Um, I think there's a chance they could get the four wins. I think that is, like, ceiling. I'm not, you know, I think I've said for a long time, that do not expect the five, six wins. I think that's a little far down the road. But I think what they've done in the transfer portal this spring, I think the potential of what they could do if they have a good next few weeks, I think you're looking at a team that could start the season 3-0, and then you just need to win one Big 12 game, which I think is entirely feasible. So um, I feel all right about that pick. I think the two and a half is a little low. Um, I think that I put a ball out there, and it seemed like a lot of fans agree that it's pretty low. I think that will get bet up to a three at some point this summer. But I, I do think that KU football is in a position where I think four wins would probably be as much as I'd expect. But I think with what they've done, I feel pretty confident they might be able to get there. I kind of want to. I'm going to jump in while Derek is is delivering these these questions. I'm very I'm fascinated because I know you uh, spent some time at least as a student and maybe even professionally covering KU before you went up to Ames and then now mm-hmm. you're back in Lawrence. Have you kind of noticed? And I'm I'm trying to word this in in as polite a way as possible, but from KU football where it was when you last covered them to when you went to Ames to now. You know, does it seem like KU at least seems like it has now from an organizational standpoint and a head coach standpoint and just outwardly, does it, does it seem like, especially compared to Iowa State, like a more legitimate Power 5 football program than perhaps the one you covered before going to Ames? Yeah, I think the word you're looking for there is competence. And yes, I think there's a lot more competence in what KU is doing now. And I think I, I keep going back whenever I think of KU and, and the structure of the program, Matt Campbell doesn't rave about a lot of coaches. Um, and when he got asked about Lance Leipold last year, he went on a full three minute raving fest, basically where he's talking about, you know, culture building, the things that he saw in KU last season were very reminiscent of what he saw in his first season at Iowa state. And I think the culture being built at KU is a lot stronger, a lot more player-led. I think you look at the leadership from the top down. Um, there's a certain direction they're going in. They're sticking to the plan. I think you look at Les Miles, and as, as good as they were recruiting, the player development wasn't necessarily there. And I think for this staff, the player development is there. And it's just a question of, you know, long-term, can they recruit at the high school level? Because they've shown they can recruit the transfer portal, and they have the staff to be able to do that. And that will get you so far. And I think the question long-term is going to be, can they recruit high school prospects and consistently do that and find the right guys that fit the scheme, fit the culture? Um, that's the question. But in terms of the actual the staff and what they're able to do and the fact that I think these are guys that are really good coaches and really good at developing players, um, I think that's different than what you've seen the last two coaching staffs, three coaching staffs. You know, uh, you could even maybe go back to Mangino in terms of just being pure ball coaches and being able to have players develop over two, three, four, five years. Um, I think that's a big deal. So, um, you know, long-winded answer to the question, but I, I do think that the improvement is there, and I think you can sense that there's a, a different feel around the program than maybe under Les Miles or David Beatty. All right, uh, we're, we're doing our RCSD trivia right now. We're in the uh, grade eight, so I have some trivia questions for you. Oh, gosh. 
<laughs> this is what everyone says when we put them under the, the fire. Um, but don't worry. Um, we only made these hard for you guys. So uh, first up, I only have two for you. The most free throws made for Kansas in an individual game along their 2022 NCAA tournament run was against what opponent? Oh, uh, Creighton. I think they shot like... 95% from the free throw line? No! That was the best free throw shooting game, but the most free throws they made was Providence. The next game, they went 19 of 20 against Creighton, but they oh. went 20 of 28 against Providence. No, it was one off. Dang it. I thought I had it. They had a one in six <laughs> chance. Okay, uh, next one. In Wilt Chamberlain's first varsity game as a Jayhawk, he dropped 52 points to help KU win 87 to 69 over what school? Pico YMCA. <laughs> like the guess. It was Northwestern. Northwestern was the uh, correct oh. answer. That was in our, I forget if that was hard or really hard category. So no sweat on, on missing those. Um, we like to stump you guys because it, it's fun for us, but I feel bad for you guys. But thanks for doing that. Um, anyway. Yeah, of course, that's fun. Before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Michael, one last thing. Uh, no particular reason I'm asking, but do you happen to have a body that, or a, uh, a freezer that can hold a uh, full-grown body? I do not. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I'm sorry. I won't be able to help you out there with that. I didn't say I needed help. It's just a question, Michael. I normally oh, do, sorry, but I'm, mine's I'm... full with a bot. I mean, something else. Okay, yeah. Yeah, anyway. Um, all right, uh, Michael, thank you for not uh, getting implicated in murder with us on the air here, and thank you for your time. Definitely. Thanks, guys. Always enjoy it. That is Michael Swain. Check out his work, fog.net, through 24-7 sports. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. We've got RCST Trivia, our second grade eight matchup coming up after this. We're going to talk some more KU basketball. We've got Ray Bouchard joining the show. We've also got Caroline Bien joining the show from the KU volleyball team in the 5 o'clock hour. With Adam Rivetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST. Our second grade eight matchup of the week. We already had Justin Nichols move on as the winner of the South region, the three seed, and he'll be taking on the winner of this one, the one seed, Tyler Feist, the 15 seed in Garrett Nice. Uh, for us here on this side of the bracket. Once again, RCST Trivia brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Kirk Geeser State Farm, McDonald's of Lawrence, CBD of Lawrence, Home Field Apparel, Pella Windows and Doors, RockChalk.io, Jayhawk Trophy, and Hawaiian Bros, 23rd Street Brewery, your title sponsor. We can get dine-in, carry-out, and catering all available. Check out the outdoor patio with the warm weather right now. You can try the Bill Self mac and cheese, any of the great food items. And uh, don't forget about the 23rd Street Brewery beer, which you can get to go with their crowlers. So, uh, Tyler. Good, good salads there, by the way, too. It's a million yeah. degrees, so it's a great day for a salad. There you go. They I do the great... uh, the grilled salmon yeah, on yeah, the salad. Yeah, that yeah. always works. It's great. Uh, Tyler, um, you're back in the grade eight for the second straight year. You went to the Phenomenal Four last year, won the third place game. So, uh, one win away from getting back to the point where you were last year where you can then try to get some redemption. And I know... Um, we were kind of talking off air that you, you had jury duty before this, but we're able to get off in time. But has that has that inhibited your your study time at all? Have you have you not been able to study, or has it made you study more because you didn't have to work? So, if it would have lasted a little bit longer, it would have significantly impacted my studying. But I got I got off just in time, and I I was able to study about as much as I have each round it's coming up to this point so i think i'm good to go 
Well, and, you know, we uh, we have mentioned and, and talked with you throughout this process that, you know, maybe this year was a little tougher than last year to study overall because you're a new dad. And um, the people have been asking, so I'm just going to ask the question, is this a trivia baby? Uh, <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what you're implying by that question, but no, I, uh, I don't think she's a trivia baby. I know, you know, just a fun night of celebration after you made the, the Phenomenal uh, Four last year, you know? He, Went to the uh, well. The math, the math does not quite add up. Okay, there. we're asking for the same reason. There's probably going to be a heap of Jayhawk babies born <laughs> in now about eight months. Yeah, uh, right. Yes. Uh, so Garrett, you are the uh, the Cinderella story of this event. We have a 14 seed in the Grade Eight as well, so you guys are pretty close in line with each other. But this is your first trivia appearance. You've made it all the way to the Grade Eight, so no matter what, you get to hold your head very high with that. What have you thought about your first run through RCST trivia? Uh, well, like I've told you before, my whole goal was just don't miss the very first like super easy question in the first match. I just didn't want to embarrass myself. <laughs> so I uh, I wasn't expecting to win that first match. I was going up against a really good two seed. And so I wasn't expecting to get out of the first round, but I just wanted to try anyway. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's been fun. I've gotten a lot further than I thought I would be able to get. So Well, we've already said you're the St. Peter's of this tournament, but if you win today, Every Cinderella from here on, instead of us saying, can they be the St. Peter's? Can they be the, the George Mason or VCU? Everybody's going to be saying, can we be the Garrett if you win today and, and make the uh, Phenomenal Four? Can we just say this? There's a group out there, and I appreciate that they're, that they're taking this so seriously. There's a group out there talking about how they've got, you know, their kids are t uh, quizzing them with flashcards. Some guys got study groups, and that's awesome. I love that we have so many high seeds advancing. But how many of these high seeds advancing have given us this, no, I just wanted to have fun and see how it happened. We know, like, the jig is up, guys. We know you're taking this thing seriously. Stop playing around. Well, Garrett, um, like I said, it's it's been a good first run for you. We're going to cue the music, and the first question I have for you, would you rather go first or go second? I've been going first the whole time, so I guess I'll just stick with it. All right. Tyler, 8-1 in trivia all-time, 46-7 and seven on questions. That's the third most answered. By the way, uh, we, on our website, rockchalksportstalk.com, just released, this is heading into the grade 8, the all-time trivia stats. You can go up and look at your numbers there. Garrett, you're 3-0 and and 10-1 and in trivia questions this year. Winner of this wins the East, goes on to the Phenomenal Four, and wins through this grade 8. All right, first question for you, Garrett. This Kansas senior guard and future Chicago Bull scored a team-high 28 points as the Jayhawks earned a 2003 Elite Eight win over Arizona. What's his name? Kirk Heinrich. Yep. Was kind of shut down in the Sweet 16 two nights before. Came up big that Saturday night in Anaheim. Was it the 03 tournament or the 02 tournament where he like rolled his ankle in the first-round game? That was 02 okay. against, I don't think that's a question. Uh, so, yeah, I'll just yeah. say it. It was against Holy Cross in the first round in 02. That was a scary time. All right, Tyler, for you. This Kansas senior guard and future Sacramento King scored a, a team-high 30 points as the Jayhawks lost their 2016-17 season opener to Indiana. Frank Mason. Yep, Frank Mason, the correct answer there. Question about that earlier this week. Uh, Stumped somebody. The the final shot on that game was taken by one Tyler Self. <laughs> yep. Shot it despite the fact that it was a four point game. Yep. All right, back to you, Garrett. 
1992-1993 Kansas Jayhawks started 9-0 before taking their first loss of the season to the Fab Five in what school? Michigan. Yep. Michigan did them in in that game. All right, Tyler, this is for you. Prior to that loss to Michigan, that 1992-93 Kansas team got the season started off with a bang by beating Bob Knight in what second-ranked school in KU's second game of the year? Indiana. Yep. A couple Big Ten matchups there. 2-0 against Indiana that year. Second one, even better than the first. I'd say so. All right, we're going to stick around in the medium category for two more. Back to you, Garrett. What's the furthest that Paul Pierce ever made it in the NCAA tournament? Let's say the Sweet 16. Made the Elite Eight his sophomore year. Um, trying to think. Let's no, see, no, no. There was his uh, was freshman year. Freshman year, that's freshman right, because he only said three years. Yeah, they went. Freshman um, year, Elite Eight. Lost to Syracuse Sophomore year, Sweet 16. Junior year, second round. Progressively downward. All right, Tyler, here's your chance to move on to your second straight Phenomenal Four. What is the furthest that Jeff Boshi ever made it in the NCAA tournament? Final Four. Yep, made the final four. He was not on the national title runner-up team. He uh, was bald, a bald sharpshooter for a lot of his team, then uh, decided to quit shaving his head, grew some hair, and was that was the year they went to the final four. I mm. doubt those two things are related. No, but I, I think they are. It's like Samson, I, right? Yeah, that could, that's a yeah. good. Yeah, that's a great point. Who knows? Special powers. I mean, imagine if you would have grown a Christiane mullet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Tyler, you're moving on to your second straight phenomenal four, and here are the prizes that you're going to receive. You get a Phenomenal Four trophy. You had one from last year, too. Uh, an engraved water bottle as well with RCST on it. It's a really nice water bottle from Jayhawk Trophy where you can get all your trophies, plaques, or any special award done with Jayhawk Trophy in Lawrence. Another $25 gift card to 23rd Street Brewery. Every round you advance, you get another $25 gift card to the brewery. An RCST hat with a Phenomenal Four logo on the side, and you get an automatic one seed once again for next year's trivia. Um, so do you have a trophy case ready to go for now? You're continuing... Uh, racking up of, of trophies. I do not have a case, but I definitely have a designated spot uh, at my on my desk at work, and I'm gonna proudly display that. the uh, The trophies are uh, they keep coming, I guess. Yep, and now you're you're a win away from besting what you did last year. Two wins away from the ultimate title, which is that big screen TV and some other prizes as well, Garrett. You fall short there. Did you know the answer to Tyler's question and what happened to you on the uh, Paul Pierce one? Uh, no, I didn't know the Jeff Boshi one either. That's my 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 tournament run histories must be kind of shaky in that uh, era. Yeah, it was between the Elite Eight and Sweet Sixteen, and I was like, I'm not a hundred percent sure if uh, Paul Pierce made an Elite Eight, but I knew he at least got to a Sweet Sixteen. But uh, yeah, it was just kind of a coin toss one. But like I said, I didn't know the I didn't know the other one either. So. Uh, congrats on moving on and go go all the way now. Just just uh, finish the job now. You're so close. Well, and Garrett, you've racked up a ton of prizes on your own. So uh, congratulations. Good first run through RCST Trivia. Congratulations, both of you guys. Yeah, thanks. Good luck, man. Thank you, Garrett. A much more humble, um, 
I don't want to say loser because that's not the right word, but <laughs> a, a much more humble, a gracious uh, person who came up short than uh, than what we saw yesterday. Well, I'll say this. It always makes it easier. And I've said this before. When you lose, when you just didn't know either yeah, answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then it's not just, I, this sucks. Like, I, I, if you were the one who picked whether you went first or second, like, I just picked the wrong one. Or if the other person picked, you're like, what could I have done? That just stinks. Or you're just like, why are these questions different? All these things. Like, um, that always stinks. So it is nice to a certain point. It's back and forth. It's it's like when you lose a close game in, you know, in, in real life, because all these are technically close. They're only one question apart. Um, but when you lose a, a close game, it's like excruciating, but also... Yeah, you're racking your brain. You could have done what play right. could you have run better? Yeah, but also it makes it more entertaining along the way of the game. Whereas if you get blown out, there's nothing entertaining about the whole thing for you, but it makes the ending a little bit easier. So it's like, like what would you rather take? Would you rather have, you know, Kansas losing to name whatever team that yeah. they lost too close in the like Sec- Villanova or the s- Oregon loss? You know, Sec- yeah, second round losses. Would you rather Northern Iowa mm-hmm. or USC? Exactly, exactly. And for me, it's USC, right? I, I don't know. Maybe you disagree there. In that, yeah, in that sense, probably USC. Because I think just in like the over, Final Four over title, with. I don't know. I'd I'd prefer it for a, a close game. Then I don't even know if I would. Just get rip the bandaid so you off. You know, Nova, Villanova, Nova in the Final Four over Nova. Like imagine, in the okay, imagine, imagine this hypothetical world where Kansas comes back on North Carolina, but then Caleb Love hits short. that three yeah. at the end. They win in overtime. Yeah, that's true. What feels tough. worse? I, I know one's a title game, and one's a Final Four. Yeah, but, but yeah, that's a tough one. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I do want to point out though that we are now fifty percent of the way through the grade eight, and yet to go into the hard category of the grade eight. Yeah, which is wild because we know all of these guys in the in the grade eight are extraordinarily great competitors. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've had some medium questions that probably could lean hard. That's so that, they, that yeah, probably that helps. Be. But still, uh, to your point, you would have thought that these would be games filled with really hard questions. Even. Yeah. Um. But, you know, great effort by Garrett. Again, he was the Cinderella of the turn. Although now if Ryan wins and makes the Phenomenal Four, I, I think we, you know, rewrite history and say he was the uh, the Cinderella of the tournament. But Tyler is just a, he's just a wagon. He has been, he's, yeah, he's you know, he's occupying that one seed spot that KU was where it's not just the third one seed in the bottom right region, but it's also the one seed where, you know, they're not getting talked about as much as, say, an Eric Hansey or That's true. Um, prior and, and- to Isaac. And now Doug, Doug, Doug has become right. the story of the tournament. Right. And, so and nobody's talking about he's going under the Tyler. This is like working now. Honestly, if you have questions if this is fixed, maybe the biggest question for if this is fixed should be how similar this like is looking to the real NCAA yeah, tournament. Yeah, yeah. We have in the bottom right the one seed getting through over kind of a Cinderella double-digit seed in the, the, the grade eight for us, elite eight for the NCAA tournament. Yeah. The top right region was a two-versus-five seed. We had a three-versus-five, yep. and it was the higher seed or better seed, however you want to phrase the one that, seed, the third, getting the, by. The three in the bottom right is kind of the the under, the under-discussed yeah. seed, uh, one seed. And then you have, yeah, I mean, Eric is, um, I guess in this case, Eric or Andrew, whoever wins of that is Duke. I'm sorry to put that on you. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, Doug, you have the eight seed, which was North Carolina versus the Cinderella story. Like, th- this is very much working out to be that, and, and I think it would be similar in that, you know, if we get a matchup between Doug and Eric or Doug and Andrew or Ryan and whatever it is, yeah, that's going to be like the storyline semifinal matchup, whereas the Villanova-Kansas game wasn't talked about nearly oh, as yeah, much, that, I think that that's what we're going to get here, uh, which is funny because we control what's talked about. But. Justin v. Tyler would definitely be the 530 game. Mm-hmm. 
if if we did and the other one if the they night. did them on yeah. the Saturday, yeah, and the nightcap would be uh would be Doug if he makes it versus uh, either Andrew or Eric. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll say this, uh, you know, our our I guess our champion last year lost in the um phenomenal four in the and then won the third place game. So maybe that's the pattern. Maybe that's the way to go for Tyler. That's the next. I mean, the next step is getting to the is is winning two more. Well, he he won. I guess. One more, he won five last year because they had the third place game. But he's got to win. In, he's got to win more, two more, but do that in a, in a particular order. Mm-hmm. All right, we're gonna take a time out here once again. Though first, uh, these are all the prizes that Tyler has racked up. We mentioned all the prizes he gets for the grade eight uh, for winning second round games. Contestants got a twenty five dollar gift card to Twenty Third Street Brewery, an RCST trivia T shirt. You get another twenty five dollar gift card for making it to the Sizzling Sixteen to the brewery. $10 to Hawaiian Bros, that thanks to Kirk Geeser State Farm. $20 to CBD of Lawrence, voucher for a free sandwich and breakfast sandwich for McDonald's. Then for making the grade eight, voucher for a free VIP car wash at Mr. D's Auto Wash. Home field apparel gear, thanks to Pella Doors and Windows. $30 of credit for Jayhawk NFTs at rockchalk.io. $25 gift card to 23rd Street Brewery, another one auto entrance into trivia for 2023, and then once again for making the Phenomenal Four. Tyler and the other two who will make it, along with Justin, Phenomenal Four trophy and engraved water bottle from Jayhawk Trophy, $25 gift card from the brewery, RCST hat with Phenomenal Four logo, and a one seed into next year's edition of RCST Trivia. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. We're halfway through the Grade 8. We'll have another matchup coming up tomorrow, and then one more coming up on Friday. We're going to take a time out here. When we come back, we're going to talk some more KU basketball. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Thanks for joining us today on RCST. Ray Bouchard, the head coach of the KU volleyball team, joins us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Caroline Bien, star KU volleyball player, will join us a little bit after that here on the show. Um, so uh, this was a report from uh, John Rothstein, and um, we had mentioned the kid uh, you know, several times and talking about guys that Kansas is kind of in on in the transfer portal and guys who are also really good transfers in the transfer portal. And uh, Isaiah Mosley, he's the Missouri State transfer. This was, uh, according to John Rothstein, he he visited Mississippi State over the weekend. He's currently garnering interest from several other programs, including Kansas, Texas Tech, and Kansas State. So, I mean, talk about Big 12 heavy. I I am interested, kind of weird that you know, I, why is Missouri not on that list? You're you're right near him. He's that's from surprising. Columbia, they, right? they may just maybe, maybe he's just not interested in them. Maybe he's like, you yeah, didn't recruit possible. me the first time. I'm from your literal city. Like bleep you. You know, yeah, it's, it's a different that's coaching possible. staff. But. Yeah, and it's a different group. Um, or yeah, maybe they just haven't. Maybe they think they have their roster set. I don't know. Um, but for whatever reason, he that's, that 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 isn't there. Yeah. So he averaged eight point three points as a freshman. Played twenty one minutes per game. Uh, that was as a redshirt freshman. He, he, I think, redshirted his first year. And then last season, I, I could be off on that. Uh, last season, though, he was a junior, and he averaged 20.4 points per game, shot 43% from three. He had two 40-point games. The last game of the season, they played Oklahoma in the NIT, and he scored 28. Okay. So, uh, obviously, very, very talented score. And I think above... 
those three transfers we've talked about the most, Isaiah Mosley, Tyrese Hunter, the the guard from Iowa State, and Kevin McCuller, the uh, kind of wing player from Texas Tech, without a doubt, in terms of offensive talent, scoring the basketball, he is tops among those three. He is tops among that list. And that was, you, and that was a big discussion is how much does Tyrese uh, Hunt, Hunter have mm-hmm. in common with Dewan Harris? Right. In a like super, how much is he going to shoot? Exactly. And a super talented one guard, but not going to bring right. much in, into the table in terms of scoring. And you also have questions about the size. Like Tyrese yeah. Hunter isn't an overly large guy. Well, Isaiah Mosley is a 6'5", kind of combo guard who can handle the ball a little bit. So you wouldn't have those questions. But as far as KU landing, landing him, like I don't know how much this matters. We mentioned, you know, I think the first time we brought him up, he went to the same high school as Dewan Harris. So clearly, you probably have a tie there. He went to the, he played on the same AAU team as both Dewan Harris and Christian Brown. Uh, Christian Brown's mom, Lisa Brown, uh, on on her Twitter account a week or so ago, posted like a bunch of pictures with Isaiah Mosley, either like with her and Isaiah, or Isaiah and Christian, or Isaiah, and, you know, whoever. Not that this means much, but mm-hmm. didn't Christian Brown tweet something about calling him the best shooter in the country or something? It wouldn't surprise me. I you thought, know, I, thought I could guy. be wrong, but I but, thought he did. I mean, it, I guess I, I said hype up your guy, but like statistically, he was like one of the better shooters in the country. So yeah. it's not even like that, that unreal to think that. Um, but it's just funny because it makes you also think like if you if you dive into that and go, he's got this great relationship with the Brown family and with Christian Brown, and it's like crap. But Christian Brown might go pro. Jonathan Gavoni of uh, ESPN used to be a Draft Express. I think it was tweeting out today that he's like, or maybe it was Mike Schmitz. I don't, I don't remember. Um, that he was like diving deep into Christian Brown, and he thinks he's going to be a first round pick, and that he's really impressive, and that he could be a good defender at the NBA level, and like a good uh, all athlete, all these things. I think so he, Christian Brown is going to be a guy who become if it's um, and and um, Swain kind of talked a little bit about this earlier. Uh, and he said he's jumped up from maybe 70 or 75 or 80% now, 90% that he stays in the NBA. I think that's about 100 by the time the combine's over. I think I really think he's going to become a solid, like a definitive first-round pick once the combine's over. I agree. I don't know if he's competing in the the five-on-fives, but those obviously are not always dependent on running sets it's, it's more of a free-flowing system and yeah. so guys who are good in transition are going to thrive more in those well that's christian brown right i i watch these playoffs man that dude on the warriors i jordan Poole. no i'm saying christian oh brown. yeah like he fits really i mean yeah they're not the only one but that, also that, who would you not say that about the warriors they're a team who has no but good infrastructure I, good spacing you know what i mean i think any but i i would say that i mean i think a lot of players would succeed on the warriors I'm I'm just saying a team that specifically that uses spacing more than almost any other team in the in the NBA right now. Yeah, would, no, would that's fair. Be it would 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 fit very much a, a guy who I think runs better in spacing than Ochai Baji. Well, and the reason I I bring up the Christian Brown thing is just that, like I'm saying, he, if he has this great relationship with the Browns, if Christian Brown comes back, then it's easy to say, okay, yeah. come play with me. Like we're friends. Like come here. Let's let's make this work. But if he goes, does that make it less likely you're going to get him because of the fact that he's not on the team and you don't have this allure of playing with your friend? And the irony of that, just to keep going on on pulling the string here, is that KU is full up on scholarships and they might need Christian Brown to go if they wanted (laughs) Isaiah Mosley, right? Yeah, that's not that uh, you want Christian Brown to go. Like you you do for his personal interest if that's what's best. That's an interesting thought. Um, 
Yeah, I look, I I I think that and look, maybe maybe Christian Brown hyping up KU would sway Mosley a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it might not matter. What if it's um, just, hey, you're my friend and I'm telling you all these good things about KU? But I I really don't see, well, not don't see. Um, I don't even want to put this out there, but I will because it's happened once before, in, K, in, in, in not just you know in KU history, but under Bill Self. Christian Brown returned. I think from, from this moment, I feel safe enough to say the, the only chance Christian Brown returns next year is a Brandon Rush situation, which I'll tell you I don't want. No, you don't if, want if that it's, all, if no. it's, And for those who don't know or weren't old enough or maybe just don't remember, Brandon Rush tore his ACL um, during a scrimmage uh, ahead of the NBA, and, and um, I, I don't know if it was at the Combine or before. Regardless, that's why he came back, and ultimately it worked out. It probably improved his draft stock a little bit, um, and ulti- you know, obviously they won the national championship with him, so it helped KU. But I think anybody, I would hate to find the fan who would hope for that. I don't want Christian Brown to come back if it's under those circumstances. I'd rather he stay healthy and go to the NBA. I'm just bringing that up to tell you I think that right now is the only thing that gets him to come back, and I don't want that to no, happen. You don't. Um, but I just I say it as kind of an extreme way to say I don't think he comes back. Um, so that's kind of a moot point. But I do think Christian Brown. Um, his love for KU, I think, could could rub off on on Isaiah Mosley. Um, the chance to, if he's anything like Christian Brown, the chance to stick it to Missouri um, might be uh, be attractive. To mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know anything about Isaiah Mosley, but if he does have that sort of bravado and, and anger that Christian Brown plays with. Um, if he's like that, I think that, you know, um, so I, I think he would be, I mean, he, he would kind of be what Kansas currently is missing, which is a scorer. Um, and, and look, Grady Dick, the more you hear and read about him, the more you think he could just turn out to be a, a, a freak show of a guy who goes in the, in his a first round pick after his freshman year, which KU hasn't had one of those since Josh Jackson. Um, and so Maybe he becomes that scorer because I've heard the not just with with great and you know we've I it's not like I've heard personally and it's some secret we've had guests on our show talk about it and Jesse Newell has written at length about it that Grady Dick his shooting touch is so great not just because he 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 shoots and makes a lot it's because he shoots from over his head so it's almost impossible to block um and and so and it's such a smooth release. So maybe even if Isaiah Mosley doesn't come to campus, Grady Dick fills out the role of the guy who who cans a bunch of shots from the outside. Um, but man, it would be sweet to to have a guy like that. But if, if he is looking, um, I, I don't know what he wants out of. Maybe he wants to say wear the same color uniform, in which case he'll go to Mississippi State. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, where he's visiting. I I just think for me. I again, I don't know how much that impacts it. I just think it's kind of a, a funny storyline there. But um, it would it would be the topic. Yeah, I mean, it, it, he would be asked plenty about it if he comes to Kansas. Oh, 100 percent. But for me, between those three guys that again we keep discussing with, with Hunter and McCuller and and Mosley, in my eyes, like if I had the choice, which it's not always up to you. It's not always up to. Well, obviously, it's it's not up to me. Never and up you. to us. Yeah, never up to us. But uh, when I say it's not up to you, I mean like it's not always up to, to KU and the coaching staff. Like it's, it's reciprocal. It's up to the player too, right? The, the player has to to want to come there. The school wants to 
or the coaching staff wants to have you come on and, and maybe the coaching staff has it ranked differently or maybe uh, he has a, a school that he'd rather go to for K. You, you don't know how that works out. But if all three were options there and basically, you know, we're, we're playing the, the bachelorette or, or bachelor, whatever, the TV show, and we're giving out our rows to one of these three players, I think I'm giving it to Isaiah Mosley. I think just based on style of play, I'd have to say that um, because McCullers, I think Tyrese Hunter and McCullers, they bring you something that any basketball team could use and, and any basketball team would love to have. I think of those three, though, Isaiah Mosley is the only one who brings you something that you can't look at and say, yes, we have this. Um, McCullers is a dude defensively, as Bill Self would say. He's a he's Yeah, what Isaiah Mosley is on offense, that is what – uh, Kevin McCuller is on McCullers defense. McCullers is, remar- is a remarkable defensive player. Um, and, and look, KU may, may be missing that next year. And, and you know, Bill Self demands so much out of his defense, it may take the, the younger players a, a, way, a while to come come along um, and really get to used to what it is he um, he envisions and, and what you need to, to do because it's not just, you know, being a great athlete, it's being smart. Um but yeah, McCullers is a remarkable defensive player, and, and he can score too. He's he's not you know nothing on the offensive end. But Mosley, I just I view Mosley as bringing to the table exactly what you don't already have, and that's a a, a you know a sniper. Right. Yeah. Because that's the thing. Even though as as much as you said, as as much as people seem to be high on on what Grady Dick is, it's not a known commodity, and you don't have. Like, headed into last year, even though we didn't know that Ochai was going to go from being a good player to National Player of the Year candidate, you at least knew that you had a bunch of guys that could go get you a bucket. We just didn't know who the primary guy was going to be. Was it going to be Remy? Was it going to be Ochai? Was it going to be Christian Brown? Was it going to be Dave in the half court, right? But the point of the the matter is, all of those were guys that you felt at different points through their career had shown or, or could show that they could be the primary option of an offense. And you head into this year, there's just... It's not that they don't have those. Again, it's just that there's more unknown uh, quantities in, well, ter- in terms of those scores. I think we know that going back to the Dewan Harris deep dive, like we know Dewan is going to be a very impactful player, very useful player for you, but he's not going to be that guy. So, which who is it? You know? Yeah. Re- remember how Jalen Coleman lands was thought of as insurance in case Ochai doesn't come back. Yes. Isaiah Mosley is that, except you're positive Ochai's not coming back. Yeah. Like that's what it yeah, is. He fills in for Ochai. He's you're, a great scorer. Yeah, he can shoot threes really well. Isaiah or um um Jalen Coleman Lands was the guy you brought in going, okay, here's a sniper for us, because we don't know if we're gonna have that. What Isaiah Mosley is, is he's that role plus the what you know is for a certainty you're losing that. Yeah. I think yeah, that's the thing for me. And I mean you're talking about a six-five kind of combo guard, like I said, who can handle the ball a little bit for you. So it either allows you to play him at the two and have a second kind of ball handler on there, or essentially play him at the three, and then you basically have, have three ball handlers on there. Um, if Jalen Wilson returns, they weren't scared. Right, that's like four. As much as Jalen Wilson played the four this past year, he was not. It, he was not afraid to bring the ball up the floor, and Self was not afraid to let him. No. Uh, now he he rarely ran the offense, but he he dribbled the ball up all the, the floor. time. So as I look at the current roster, you know, I, I I just I trust Bill Self so much with defense just in general. And I see pieces on the team like Dewan Harris, who is gonna play a very sizable role, Joe Yesifu, who as currently constructed, I kind of view 
both Yesvu and, and Pettiford as being guys who could maybe give you 15 to 25 minutes a game. We'll see how that kind of pecking order gets shaken out. Ceiling-wise, long-term, we're both higher on Pettiford, though, right? Right. I just, uh, like, yes, if we, I, I view him as playing a role, I guess yeah, I should say. I as agree. of now, if Tyrese Hunter comes in, who knows what that means. But as of right now, I view Joe Yesifu as playing a role. I think he's a good defender. He provides ball pressure. He's kind of pesky defensively. Mm-hmm. K.J. Adams can be a great defender on that end of the floor. He could be a, a rotation player, maybe even a starter for next year's team. Ernest Uday, he could be a really good rim protector, shot blocker. Zuby Edgefer, we talked with Kevin Flaherty, and he was saying how, you know, he might be one of the best shot blockers in the entire class coming in. So, like, I and, and I don't know what really to expect of Zach Clements defensively. I think he has the length to be good on that end. It's just about kind of adding that the physicality in the core. MJ Rice and, and Grady Dick, I don't, I don't think we totally know what to expect from freshmen defensively, no. but by all accounts, they're both six foot five to six foot seven wings who are athletic, so they obviously have potential to be good defenders, right? When I see all that, when I see all that length and athleticism, I, I think there's no reason you can't think when mixed with Bill Self that that team would be able to defend at a good enough level for you to be a ultra competitive, really good team next year. I'm not saying they're going to be like an elite defense. Maybe they will, maybe they won't, but to be good enough. Yes, I I think they can. Uh, The one thing that, and and just going back to something we talked about maybe a week after the title, trying to find things that compare from this team to other, not just Bill Self, you know, national title playing or, or final four teams, but just other elite Bill Self teams like 2010, 2011, 2011, 2012, or, you know, 2009, 10, whatever it is. And one of the things we brought up, and there were a few exceptions like the 11, 12 team, was a lot of the best Bill Self teams have at least four guys, sometimes five on the court, who at all times can score, can be a bucket getter at what they do. Mm-hmm. And by that, I don't mean all five of the guys can shake and bake you and Euro step your way to the rim. But like for this team, for this past year's team, David McCormick, you could give it to on the block and he could score. Jalen Wilson could drive. He could create. He could score. Remy Martin. Um Christian Brown, I mean, Mitch Lightfoot could do it with right hand hook. No how matter many different, what, how many different players did they have go for at least eighteen or twenty? This yeah, year? exactly. Like Jalen Coleman lands did it. Mitch got fourteen, fifteen a couple times. So yeah. like they had no matter what, no matter what lineup KU was thrown out there in, in meaning time. I mean, there were times throughout the season where maybe you'd throw out Dewan and KJ Adams, and you're like, yeah, this looks a little clunky offensively. Yeah. But in 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 the time that it mattered, the NCAA tournament, right? No matter what lineup KU threw out there, there were either four or five guys on the court at all times that could all get you a bucket in their area of the game. Which right? allows you to find a mismatch. Exactly. And it, and it makes it harder for you to defend because it's just, what if they have a good defender? Well, then, okay, that's fine. But they have, Who's they have he four gonna others, pick? right? Yeah. So, so my question a- with this year's team is that. Because, again, with Grady Dick, he has the potential, but we don't know it. With MJ Rice, how ready are you going to be? Um, with Zach Clements, are are you going to be a consistent shooter more than you showed this past year? Are you going to have the game in the post? Like, what are you going to get from your center offensively? Uh, who's going to play the four if Jalen Wilson is gone? And yeah. what are they going to bring offensively? There's just more questions for me about the offense than there is the defense right now. So for that reason, I'm taking Isaiah Mosley. I agree completely, and I would add to this, even if there were some questions defensively, think about how much, and and everybody we talked to, Matt Tate, mm-hmm. Jesse Newell, the two of us, we all kind of agreed back in December where we said, where would you rather be? a really good offensive team who needs to pick it up defensively considering Bill Self is the coach or a team that's got it figured out defensively but you need to find something offensively. And we all said, no, we'd way rather be the team that it was, which is a team that was like has its moments where you're going, what's going on defensively? Um, 
but you know you're gonna it's gonna score points. And eventually they became a team that did figure it out defensively at least enough yeah. to become a, a top I don't know, twenty five defensive team. Well it's easier to figure that out because a lot when you have such a good defensive coach, a lot of it can be scheme and just about communication and playing longer with each other. Yeah. If you just don't have guys who can make buckets for you like, that's not going to – like, maybe it'll come one specific game. There's going to be one specific game out of nowhere where you just hit threes, right? But that's not going to be consistent enough for you to go far in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. And, and that's the beauty of it, too, with having multiple bucket getters. You know, we always talk about in the NCAA tournament, one-game sample, it's hard to, um, you know, count on being good shooting each each night, night in, night out. But if you have so many bucket getters, if one guy's off – like, we saw Ochiak Baji off a couple games, but they had other guys step up. So the more guys you have, the more uh, kind of the higher floor you have there. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've talked countless times, and I know we needed a break, um, but I've talked countless times. Uh, to me, the perfect example. Now, look, these are two pros and, and fantastic college all to all time great players at KU. But you look, you need you need look no further than the Sweet Sixteen against Duke in 03 and uh, what Nick Collison brought to the table when Kirk Heinrich was having a bad night, and a lot of this is matchup driven as well. Um, and then what Arizona, when, you know, against Arizona, what Kirk Heinrich brought when it wasn't Nick Collison's best night. That's kind of an extreme example because those are two incredible basketball players. But it's just the more options you have, the more chances you go, who's their weakest defender? Okay, that guy's good enough to to exploit him. Yeah, and just to kind of tie a bow on this before we take a break here, um, you also have questions, who would be KU's final shot taker next year? If you bring this guy in, he becomes probably the guy that you look at. Again, you don't know the transition there from the Missouri Valley to this. And also, if you're saying, well, but what about the years left? Well, he could have two years left because I think he'll be a senior this year, but he would have a COVID year as well. So he could have two years left. Hunter, you could have three. McCuller, you could have two. But it's all a crapshoot anyway because you don't know when somebody's going to leave to go pro. And honestly, I think where we're at with the transfer portal you take the best guy and you almost forget the amount of years. In, in football, it's different. Football, you want the years. Basketball, you just say, give me the best guy, and if he's gone after a year, guess what? There's going to be another good player in a year in the portal. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. I'm joined now by a special guest at the top of the 5 o'clock hour here, Ray Bouchard, head coach for the KU volleyball team. Last time we talked uh, was, I think, in the, the week of the first round of the NCAA tournament, and that went pretty well so now in the off season getting ready for next season and uh you know uh, we're going to be talking with caroline here coming up in uh, about 15 minutes or so and, and caroline has just been selected by the uh u21 usa volleyball national training team to, to compete with that I, I know you've had other players who have you know participated in in different summer events whether it's something like that or that that u.s collegiate national team uh, do you tend to notice any difference when players go on to that? Does it help increase their level of play? Does it help hone their skills or maybe uh, help them get on you know some of the level with these other players in terms of preparation? I guess what what do you usually notice with your players who go off to events like this? Yeah, I think uh, first and foremost is just an awareness around the level of play throughout the country because they're obviously gathering with a lot of players from different regions and. Um, 
sometimes we get locked into kind of our own little our own little world in uh, the Midwest or the Big 12 Conference. And so I think it, it gives an awareness around uh, there's great players throughout the country and throughout each region. And I think uh, they can take a little bit of what they see from some of those other players, especially the positions that they play, and maybe elevate their own game. So uh, I think they come back from the experience uh, with a greater awareness level of volume better opportunity for them as they go through this process um with with a player like caroline and i know she's only a freshman but what do other players get from a player when, when they play with a great player and you've had several of them um witnessing how much work you know it, it takes what what do her teammates take from her as they watch her uh getting opportunities like this yeah i think they sense uh here's a kid that shows up every day ready to go to work uh, she's a consistent version of herself each and every day as a teammate, as a competitor. And I think that's what, as a coaching staff, I know that's something we admire and respect is some kid that's going to consistently show up at a pretty high level each and every day. Uh, and this day and age, that's a little bit harder to find. So I think from her, from her approach each and every day to how she goes about her business, I think she, even though she's young, she models kind of exactly what we want. Uh, on a daily basis in our program. Uh, mentioned you all made the, the Sweet 16 a season ago, finished the year strong, getting the tournament, then you have that, that nice run in the NCAA tournament in December. Ha- have you felt that momentum carrying over into the off season here? Yeah, I think there's some good energy uh, from that. Uh, certainly we went back to work this spring. I think the squad uh, uh, that was available certainly uh, um, – I think it fills some momentum from that and some of the work that they've been putting in paying off. So I think some validation from, uh, from the skills and uh, the level of work they've been putting in, which I think motivates you to maybe stay on track and continue to do the things you're doing with the hope that we'll continue to make some gains uh, to put us in a position, favorable position again this fall. We know, kind of, we, we talked briefly about what you know, success, what team success does for the program, and 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 the you know what the program may look like in the future, and how it may affect recruiting. Does a, a situation? I have to imagine that an opportunity like like this for Caroline is also going to help in terms of something you can sell to to future Jayhawks who are playing in high school, right? Well, I don't think there's any doubt about that. That USA Volleyball's. Uh... I think they're expanding their footprint in all the developmental programs. I think they're more encompassing. I think they're much more organized than they've been. And I think it, it is a true pipeline to, uh, you know, the ultimate goal, which would be to make uh, their national team roster. So I think that the fact that Kansas has got a, a, a pretty deep tradition in involvement with USA Volleyball over the years uh, certainly helps. And I know it uh, – for those developing players across the country, I know that's on their radar and something that I think they aspire to be a part of. Uh, obviously, you guys lost Caroline Crawford to uh, the transfer in, in Wisconsin. So what kind of hold does that leave, and, and who are you guys looking to, to step up in her place? You know, we were able to uh, attract a graduate transfer from the University of Florida, Lauren Dooley, who's been uh, a really, really positive piece to the program this spring she uh, obviously has got great experience in the fact that she's been part of a program that's parentally uh, 
significant, you know, not only in the SEC, but in the NCAA tournament. So she brings that level of experience. But beyond that, she's a really, really quality individual who, uh, who's been already a great influence on some of our younger players. You know, we had a couple players join us, uh, a semester early from high school that, uh, I think have really, um, gained value from what, what Lauren, some of the experiences that she's brought. So we're excited about her, but, you know, we also have, uh, you know, Kim Whetstone and Gracie Van Drill, who didn't have a, a significant role at times last year, who this spring have been, been doing a really nice job of, of creating a little bit more of a role for themselves as well. Well, I know we've seen the the transfer portal and the NIL game really come into a pretty large effect in, in basketball and, and football. We're seeing it publicly all the time. How, how much has that been impacting things for, for you as a coach and, and with volleyball at the collegiate level? Yeah, well, the transfer portal is affecting every sport uh, across the, the NCAA, what they offer. And it, uh, I think it's there's mixed reviews uh, on how people feel about it. Um, Obviously, we love it when quality kids transfer to your program, but uh, you know you hate to leave, hate to lose kids too. So, I think it's lessened the uh, responsibility of the student athletes and their and their responsibility to the decisions they've made and the school they're attending. But at the same time, I think it uh, from a graduate level, I think for an opportunity to spend a fifth year maybe somewhere getting a master's degree and, and experience in a different situation. I think there's some positives there. So uh, it is what it is, and it's pretty rampant uh, in all sports. Um, and certainly I think our men's basketball program has benefited from it, uh, and as well as we have uh, with some of the transfers that we've had. So I think it's just the way we're going to be doing business. The NIL situation hasn't, um, to, to a greater degree, affected us uh, like it has some other sports, but I think it's certainly in the pipeline and something that uh, we'll be dealing with as we move forward. Um, I'm kind of curious with, um, you know, and I know as a coach, there's, there's really only so much you can do. And if a, if a player tra- decides to transfer, um, you know, they, they have that, you know, they're allowed to. But what do you do, I, I guess, to, tr- you know, is there something specific you do right when they get on campus to try to show them? you know, what you've got going and, and why they've made the right choice um, before you even have to get to a point where, all right, now it's, it's the off season and you have to basically recruit one of your players back to your program? Yeah, I think just as a staff, how we're showing up each and every day and how we're looking at a holistic approach and looking beyond just what they can do from a statistical standpoint, volleyball-wise, and taking a greater awareness around what's going on in their lives as people. So I couldn't be more excited about the staff and what we're providing for our, the kids in our program from that regard. I think there's been a lot of tension lately to coaches that are pretty transactional. And um, if you're going to get so many kills from me or so many eights or so many digs, then, then uh, that's a positive. If you're not, then, then that relationship isn't what it should be. So we try to look beyond um, what it is to be just a volleyball player here at the University of Kansas and look more at the student-athlete experience. And if you do that, I think certainly you're going to have kids that are going to enjoy their experience and, and want to experience that for their entire college career. I think I, I probably know the answer to this question having spent a season with you, and, and I know 
your family as well. So I think I know the answer to this, but but just curious, you know, with when things for your job, when things change so quickly like they did with this new transfer rule, do you ever give yourself even privately a chance to, to kick back and maybe complain a little bit even in private or you just say no it is what it is I have a job to do and, and tell that to your staff and say we have a job to do and just move forward or do you ever at least in private give your chance give yourself a chance to go man I wish things were the way they used to be I think we all vent about that a little bit but if you spend too much time in that space you're just not gonna not gonna be productive so um, you know we used to used to have to serve to score in volleyball, you know, and they changed that and everybody thought, wow, how's that ever going to work? And now rally scoring obviously <laughs> is extremely fan friendly. So yeah, it, it's, it's a, a very different job than what I, that what I started 24 years ago. Uh, but certainly each and every year comes with new challenges and this is part of the new landscape. So we'll adapt and uh, we'll thrive in it. Yeah, I know you mentioned some some players that you know freshmen coming in early or transfers coming in. Uh, what players should we kind of be keeping an eye on that could have a, a nice little breakout season upcoming here in the fall? Well, we had a couple of young ladies uh, join us in January, uh, early from high school. Uh, Molly McCarthy from uh, Palm Desert, California, uh, a DS libero prospect who uh, had a great spring for us, and we're excited about her. And then Ryan Swanson. Uh, 6'2", maybe 6'3", outside hitter from McPherson, Kansas, uh, has really uh, taken this spring and, and used it to the best of her ability. Uh, if you think about that, man, we, we trained for eight weeks and we played three different competitions, and uh, you can't really put a price tag on that for those two. But we've got, uh, you know, Aya Alnadi is, is back from uh, from uh, the season she missed last year due to injury, and I think she's back to almost 100%. Uh, and then we've got, uh, you know, Cameron Turner coming back. Had a great finish to her freshman season as our setter. Um, I think Ines Sabo, uh, our lefty on the right side, is in the best shape she's ever been in. And we can go down the list a little bit. Carly Schmidt, uh, I think, is excited about her potential opportunity coming up, and along with Caroline Bean and, and others. And then Kennedy Ferris has been great, as usual, uh, returning libero. Um, well, we've had uh, we've had a really productive spring. We've had a lot of kids in the gym, had a competitive opportunity for a lot of different kids. So we'll have two more join us this summer, and then we'll be ready to go this fall. Talking with uh, Kansas head volleyball coach Ray Bouchard here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Back to the discussion about Caroline Bien, who was um, selected to the U twenty one USA volleyball team. I- I'm kind of curious from a from a personality standpoint as she continues her career as a Jayhawk. Not just this summer with the with the U twenty one team, but um, I guess this spring we're still in spring, even though it's a thousand degrees. Um, but what as she becomes kind of the face of your program, which I expect her to be because she's such a, a tremendous player. What is what does she bring from a personality standpoint that that helps her or may help her become the face of the program? Yeah, it, uh, there's a selflessness about her that is really unique. Um, I think she, uh, obviously there's been a lot of awards come her way, big 12 freshman of the year, first team, all big 12 and all these other things. But she, she, uh, she gives all the credit to those around her. Um, uh, she makes people better around her. Um, she doesn't, I, I don't think, uh, those are the things that drive her and 
and and and allow her to be better each and every day. I think she truly enjoys competing. I think she enjoys the camaraderie of volleyball and the teammate aspect of that. And she'll show up each and every day with a, a, a growth mindset and ready to make her and those around her better. So exactly the type of kid you want in your gym, especially a six-rotation player who never comes off the floor who's impacting a match in so many different ways. Uh, this is kind of off volleyball, but also on at the same time. We saw a video, uh, I don't know, a week ago or something, where there was the KU basketball team playing in the volleyball gym, playing volleyball. I, I know the one image that sticks in my mind is K.J. Adams jumping four feet in the air and kind of hanging up in the air. If, if you could pluck one of those guys from the KU basketball team to your volleyball team and the NCAA is like, yeah, we're cool with it, um, uh, who would you go with? Well, you know, Ochai wasn't there, um, so he would be kind of a natural. But KJ, uh, you know, his sister played, I think, at SMU, so he's got a little bit of a background. And uh, arm swing wasn't bad. Obviously, the vertical was uh, next level. Uh, so he'd be a great place to start. I think, you know, uh, Dewan thought he was a setter. He really wasn't, <laughs> but he thought he was. So he was trying to make that show go, but... No, we had a good time with those guys, and I think uh, they came to a little better understanding about the, the level of play and how, how quick the ball travels and all those kind of things. But, uh, yes, it was a fun time. Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. Well, Coach, we appreciate you spending some time with us. Before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Coach, one last thing. If you could make any unhealthy food healthy, which would you choose? If I could make any unhealthy food healthy, uh, I think uh, ice cream should be one of the f- food groups. Yes. Yeah, we Love just it. we just had a top ten ice creams on our show yesterday. So you, uh, we're going to pretend like you were listening. I don't know if that's the case, <laughs> but we're going to act like you got that from us. I did. Certainly. There so, we go. Well, coach, I appreciate right, it. Uh, thanks yep. for the time, as always, man. Take care. All right, that was head coach Ray Bouchard of the Kansas volleyball team. Excited to see what they do for the uh, upcoming season here. In the fall, we're going to be joined by one of his star players. A little of we what we talked about coming up on the other side. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Uh, we've got another special guest here. Just talked with head coach Ray Bouchard of the KU volleyball team. Now we've got one of the stars of the team. And I guess first things first here, uh, Caroline, uh, this is uh, a controversial debate. Um, we've asked me and Adam, I don't know, uh, handfuls of people the proper pronunciation of your last name. And I would say it's not a 50-50 split, but we have definitely gotten answers both ways. So what is the proper way? Is it Bean? Is it Bien? How do you say your last name? It's Bien. Okay, Bien. So we get the official yeah. answer right there. Um, That's embarrassing because I've been saying Smith this entire yeah, time. Right. Um, so <laughs> you're one of 20 participants that were selected to compete in the 2022 Women's U21 USA Volleyball National Training Team. Kind of a mouthful to say, but um, what are you most excited about with your selection to compete as part of that unit? Um, I'm super excited to experience a whole new coaching staff. Um, I've learned a lot from the coaching staff at KU, uh, more than I ever could have imagined in one year. So I'm excited to see what I can learn in a small amount of time that I'm there and just to develop like new friendships with new teammates and stuff like that. So what do you think this will 
bring you know offer you in terms of what you can bring because you, you you've already achieved quite a bit in your freshman season um in terms of, of more things you can learn what do you think you can learn in this experience and then bring back um to improve on an already great season when you come back uh in the fall for for KU volleyball yeah um I guess I'm just looking forward to learning just a little bit more about international play. Um, a few of our coaches, I know Caitlin Nielsen has played internationally, and then um, our volunteer assistant, Nils, is no longer with us, but um, he played internationally also. Um, and I think, like, they're super excited for me. They've been communicating with me a lot, but I just think it's a whole it's a whole different game. Um, less substitution, so like I think I'll learn a lot about playing six rotations, like more than I did this year, and um, just I guess stuff like that, new techniques from new coaches, and all of that. Uh, so you you are from the local area. You went to St. Thomas Aquinas. At what point in your life, whether it was in high school, your senior year? Or- some point growing up, did you kind of know that you wanted to be a Jayhawk? Um, that's a good question. Um, yeah, so I, I do live pretty close to Lawrence, just uh, 35-ish minutes away. Um, and I've kind of grown up going to KU games. And I'd say the moment that I thought, like, I could really see myself here was Watching Cassie Waite play libero, she I always looked up to her. Um, I played with her sister for like six, seven, maybe eight years. Um, and she gave me lessons. Like she was like my biggest mentor. And I was her position when I committed. So she definitely inspired me to come to KU. As a graduate of Gardner Edgerton High School, I'm very, very happy to hear you say that. Um, <laughs> moving, uh, moving along, we spoke with uh, with Coach Bouchard a bit earlier, and he the the when we asked him to kind of talk about you and what kind of player you are, um, a word that he used multiple times was was consistency um, in the manner in which you show up every day. Is that something that you've always had, or is it something you've had to learn uh, along the way to? you know, to be consistent in your approach to how you, you know, attack each day um, in training or in, in playing, whatever the case may be? Um, it's definitely something that I've had to learn. I'd say in high school, high school volleyball really taught me that because, I mean, it was more volleyball than I had ever played before, coming to practice every single day. And you just kind of get to the point where, like, you realize that, your time in the gym is like so precious and you should value like every second you have there and nothing from like school, the outside, anything like your friends, nothing like that should be impacting the way that you play. And I feel like I kind of brought that to college. It was definitely a lesson that I learned and it just makes it so much more enjoyable when like you're not thinking about things other than what you're doing in the moment. So we're talking with Caroline Bien here. In high school, you didn't just play volleyball. You uh, lettered in diving, bowling, and track and field. Did you have any free time in high school? <laughs> well, I would say playing sports was a lot of my free time. It was like what I like to do. It was fun for me, and especially stuff like bowling. Like That was just something to do like for fun with my friends. So. 
Not a lot of free time, but <laughs> enough. Okay, so I'm curious. If, if you weren't playing volleyball right now, let's just say, I don't know, the sport didn't exist for some reason. Uh, which of those other sports, what sport do you think you would be playing right now? Uh, track and field. Really? What is, what's the best uh, event for you in track and field? I'm also curious, like, what is the best round of bowling for you? <laughs> um, so my best event in track, I really was more into the field events, the jumping events. So I did high jump, long jump, and then um, the 4x100 relay. And just, like, occasionally, like, some sprint, sprint medley. Um, and then in bowling, a good round for me would be, like, high hundreds. So I thought that would be, like, one, just 10 frames. Um, would be, like, 180 to, like, 190. Um, back to kind of your, your college career, it, you guys had, you know, a tremendous season, particularly the end. You had to win a whole bunch in a row just to get that at-large bid to the tournament. And then once you got there, uh, made a run to the Sweet 16. That season as a team almost mirrored, you know, kind of what you were coming in with as a freshman um, and then in the end becoming somebody really, you know, put your um, put your name out there on the, on the, the radar in terms of somebody who's a great player. Have you been, you know, talked to as a team or, or personally – what have you learned or what, is, what has been taught to you or told to you in terms of how you should attack this offseason now that you're coming in with expectations versus last year that was kind of, you know, you have expectations, but it's also somewhat of a building and now you're out there. Yeah, for sure. So I'd say like it's pretty easy as a freshman to kind of just go with the flow. Um, everyone's like helping you out, looking out for you. Um, especially super senior Jenny Moser. She was always, she always had my back and she was my same position. So kind of just like helping me along and I kind of just did, did whatever I could, but she really like always made sure I was in the right spot, you know, stuff like that. So now that she's gone, um, I've definitely had to take on that role myself and kind of help others, like help the new freshmen that are coming in. We've had a couple coming in semester. Um, and kind of just like develop more of a leadership role, um, especially having like such a young team, like Cameron Turner and myself are two players that are on the court a lot of the time. And so having like two people that are so young, like she's definitely – stepped into that leadership role and in the off season we're definitely gonna try to keep doing that do you have a favorite memory favorite moment from the season whether it's you know on the court in practice or, or off the court from this past season um i guess this is expected but beating creighton and making it to the sweet 16 just was like the best feeling ever so that was awesome what would you say you had more kind of, I guess, if, I don't know, I know you're you're a successful athlete, so maybe by this point you're in your life you don't get the jitters anymore. But if you do, which would you say you had more jitters, your first actual game as a college volleyball player or your first uh, tournament game? Could you repeat that question? Yeah, um, which, which would you say kind of caused a little more uh, jitters or, or nerves 
just your first game as a college athlete or that first round tournament game when you're in that one and done situation? Oh yeah, that's a good question. Um, definitely just my first game as a college volleyball player. Um, it was just like so surreal. Like it, it just felt crazy. Like it, it was, I just never thought the day would come, you know, like, I'd been committed since I was, like, 14, and I just never thought, like, that day would actually come where I was on the court playing. So that was super, super intimidating for me. Um, I remember that day, it was our exhibition game against, I think, Washburn, and I was early on every single approach. I was just so nervous. And now, like, we kind of talk about, like, nerves a lot, good nerves, bad nerves. And now I can kind of, like, recognize when I'm nervous and when I need to slow down, like, take a deep breath. But that was super intimidating for me and, like, having people I know watch and stuff like that. But going into the tournament, I feel like all of us were just super confident. So, If you were to give some advice either to, you know, freshman Caroline or to the, the freshmen that are incoming is there a specific way to deal with those those nerves, or do you just is it just one of those things where you have to go through it, and and if you make mistakes along the way, it happens, or is there a way to to, to deal with it, or, or do you just have to experience it and get through it? Um, definitely, it definitely comes with experience. But if I could go back and say something to myself, I guess I would just say like no one cares that much. Like no one's paying attention to your one hitting error. Like I know it's like all you can think about in the moment, but it's not that deep. Like everyone makes mistakes. It's part of volleyball. It's the biggest part of volleyball. Um, and yeah, I guess everyone makes mistakes. So. All right. Well, Caroline, we appreciate you joining us today. Um, before we let you go, my co-host and producer, we do something with all our guests called One Last Thing. It's more of a off-track uh, question. I was trying to get him to ask you something about an NIL deal with, I don't know, maybe like a, a language service that you could call it Moy BN. But nonetheless, here is uh, One Last Thing with Adam. All right, Caroline, one last thing. I asked this of Jill Dorsey Hall earlier this year. Should Coach Bouchard grow back his mustache? <laughs> what was that? I said, uh, should Coach Bouchard grow back his mustache? I don't know if you knew this. When he when he <laughs> was God. younger, he, he had quite the mustache. He shows us pictures of himself, and we all just laugh so hard. <laughs> it is so funny. Well, I think he should. Yes, it, it looks um, well noticeable, I guess, yeah. is all I can really, the best compliment I can give. <laughs> well, Caroline, <laughs> we appreciate you taking some time out of your day and hopping on with us here, and uh, thank you, and have a good rest of your day. Yeah, of course. Thank you. That was Caroline Bien of the KU volleyball team. Should be in store for quite the season this next year in uh, the fall. All right, he's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Real Rock quick, before we go to before we go to break, you made your little pun with Moy Bien. Yeah. When you just now said they should be in for a great season, I did not mean that to do that. I really, I didn't even realize it until you brought it up to my mind. I had another one in there. If she would have told me at the beginning of the interview, you pronounce it beans. I mean, that would have just been easy. You could, you know, yeah, get your bean burrito brought to you by Caroline yeah, whatever. Bean, or but it's BN. It's BN. So let's say it right. So yeah, yeah. lots of options there. Uh, anyway, he's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST.